Today's workplaces are increasingly toxic. It can feel like every semblance of humanity has been squeezed out by outdated rules. On Let's Make Work Human, we believe that companies can meet their mission and make a profit without squeezing the life out of people. How do leaders who care create unbreakable workplace cultures brimming with belonging, transparency, joy, flexibility, purpose, care, and results? This show has the answers. Walking the path of true people leadership requires unbreakable connections and real partnerships that debunk and demolish old habits. I'm May Long Rats. I go by May. I'm a millennial with a partner named Sam and a toddler named Crosley. I'm a determined optimist. I believe in the power of community and rest. I'm a cis Chinese mixed race woman. I was grown in the Mountain West. I'm an award-winning artist, a mother, a coach, and a DEIJ facilitator. I co-host the show with my friend, award-winning entrepreneur, best-selling author, baby boomer, culture expert, and beekeeper, Mo Carrick. Together, we're going to take a radical approach to liberating working mothers, abolishing toxic workplace cultures, and so much more. Join us for an irreverent and honest look at what it takes to make every workplace fit for human beings who work there. We're on a mission to restore humanity to work one magnificent people leader at a time. This show will warm your heart, challenge your thinking, and leave you laughing out loud. Hi, Mo. Hi, May. Will you just name for everybody where you are, just in case there's some dinging that goes off? Uh, <laughs> Talk sitting, about what your office looks like right now. My office right now looks like I'm sitting in the on the fourth floor of a hotel because I got kicked out of my room where I was here <laughs> doing a keynote and now I'm in the hall. It's the f- quietest place I could find, but occasionally when someone comes to the fourth floor, it dings, but I'm sitting quietly in a focused area, but there it goes dinging. Great. So- <laughs> Some people I would just like to name have podcast studios. They plan <laughs> for many days what they're going to talk about on their podcast. Folks, that's not the podcast that you are tuning no. to today. No. We don't have a podcast studio. In fact, we don't even have one, let alone two. And <laughs> we have almost never talked about what we're going to talk about before we get here. So welcome. Today, we got a question. The question, well, I want you to talk about the data that just came out about toxic culture. But here's the question. What is toxic culture? Because if we're going to keep using it as the reason for why people are leaving their jobs or the new buzzword, it might be helpful if we just, what is it? What are we talking about? Is there actually right. sludge sitting in the office? <laughs> what kind of toxic culture are we discussing? Yeah. And if you are in a, a minorly toxic cultured place, what you might sense. And if you're in a majorly toxic place, what you might also sense. So this might help suss that up a little bit. Yeah, so, good, first the super good question. So, well, first, let me say what I think a toxic culture is. So before this data even showed up, I, of course, spoke about, as did many others, the, you know, the, the harm that can be caused from toxic culture. We talk about healthy organizational culture and toxic culture. And the reality is that um, there, there may not be a difference because some people might thrive in a toxic culture. I think of it as a toxic culture is one that is bad for people. So it may not actually have sludge in the hallway, but it has some other piece about its its environment or how people are treated there that they feel 
uh, harmed, damaged, unseen, undervalued, disempowered, and not like going to work. Like for me, that's a toxic culture. It's bad for people um, is the, the, the benchmark that, that I look at. When I think about this data, um, and the data that I'm speaking of just came out in the MIT Sloan Management Review by Donald and Charles Soule, a father-son team, and William Cipolli and, I'm not sure how to pronounce the name, Briganti. And they did a really big study that was looking at Glassdoor data during COVID because they were trying to figure out why did people leave, why we had so many people leaving their jobs during COVID-19, in particular in 2021, in the period that people are now calling the Great Resignation. And I really appreciate their study because um, the data is fresh and new. And during the Great Resignation, as you know, there was a lot of mythology about, well, people are leaving jobs because they don't want to work hard anymore and the government's going to pay them during COVID. And so that's why Mm -hmm. nobody's working. Now we know for sure that that's not the case. I heard on NPR yesterday, by the way, that there's two jobs for every candidate right now. So people are, you know, getting the people that that organizations need to run their businesses and organizations is definitely not getting any easier. Um, Anyway, the Souls and team did this research that that identified the number one reason people left companies during the Great Resignation, which we at Momentum call the Great Reframe, is because of toxic culture. And they described five attributes of that culture, which I think are powerful. They talk about these five things. Cultures that are disrespectful, non-inclusive, unethical, cutthroat, and abusive. So I'll go through those again just because they're really powerful. Disrespectful, non-inclusive, unethical, cutthroat, and abusive. This would be cultures that are bad for people. I feel like there's so many places like that. (laughs) (laughs) You're not supposed to say that. We're trying to help. I'm not going to name names right now, but I just feel like... (laughs) I think there are. And I think that what's really interesting is that, you know, when we are working with clients, I I was thinking about this the other day as I was reviewing the data from Culture X, the team that did this big study. And I'm, and I'm like, you know, none of my clients will own necessarily that their culture is toxic. And I Mm. don't even think of our, I don't think of our culture as toxic. And yet I know that there's dimensions of even our culture at Momentum that could or have at times been toxic in the past. So I would encourage our listeners to think about, it's not about them. You know, it's not about the other company that's really doing things in a horrible way. It's really about us. And when we look at and unpack what makes for a healthy and vibrant culture, you know, we all, we aren't all kicking it all the time. Sometimes we're sucking it and we've got to be able to be honest with ourselves about Mm -hmm. that, even though we may not fit the bill with all of these five big traits of toxicity. I got a lot of questions. The first one is, (laughs) what what do those things even mean? What do they look like? What do they feel like? How do you, how do you smell? Like if you smell the rat, that's one thing, but what does it actually look like? Yeah. Well, if I unpack those five things, you know, here's how I think of them. And, and then I'll also add my own color around what we see, which is just cultures that are bad for people. So disrespect is really all about a lack of consideration and dignity. You know, people feeling that they're not treated in a way that honors their humanity. Um, Mm -hmm. Jeffrey Pfeffer talks about this in Dying for a Paycheck around the mental health and physical health costs of work when nobody cares, you know, how we're doing. Mm -hmm. So disrespectful is a pretty broad broad category. I I see disrespect as playing out in dynamics like bosses claiming credit for work that employees performs, employees who don't feel safe, Disrespect also includes employees who feel that they're 
team or their boss disrespects them in terms of things like long extended expectations for work hours, having to work on vacation, being paid lower than Mm -hmm. what feels fair. I think all of those probably fit in the disrespectful category. When we think Mm -hmm. about non-inclusion, this is primarily um, showing up, at least in the souls research, as the three biggies are LGBTQ inequality, disability inequality, and racial inequality, followed by age, gender, cronyism, et cetera. So this is really about a culture of belonging or not. So in toxic cultures, we see cultures of non-inclusion, which is that those, you know, people that are outsiders to the majority don't feel that there's a place for them there. Unethical is going to be about dishonesty and about, you know, sometimes it's about breaking laws like regulatory non-compliance, but more often it's about unethical behavior. And Mm -hmm. cutthroat is backstabbing or ruthless. I would add that cutthroat can also include gossiping and triangulation. So cultures where we talk about people, not to them, we spread rumors. I might say, something nice in an upward direction and something diminishing in a sideways direction to appear or to a direct report. And then abusive, abusive is a really interesting one, isn't it, May? Because, um, you know, we know that there's a lot of litigation that flows through the, um, Mm -hmm. the halls of human resources attorneys. A lot of that is about bullying, harassment, hostility, people feeling that they're actually in a harassment environment where they're being abused, emotionally abused, sexually threatened, um, or harassed in that way. You're like a dangerous, dangerous situation. Dangerous situation. Yep. Mm-hmm. Manipulated or unsafe. You know, th- I mean, th- those are broad categories again, because like bullying mm-hmm. can be anything. And, you know, we know it's actually hard to prove unsafe work conditions in terms of not physical unsafe, but emotionally unsafe work conditions are actually hard to prove in a court of law. But I think they happen often mm-hmm. and people usually think- leave. That probably adds to the, the toxicity of the culture, don't you think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That the things that are hardest to prove are the things that often are the most insidious because they just can be normalized so quickly of like, that's yeah. just how we do things here. Or right. you just must not get it. Or you must not care enough to just forget about it. Or maybe you're not tough enough. I, I worked for a company uh, right out of art school that I didn't really realize was all that toxic, actually until I was standing on a street corner trying to get to the this office across the way, which I was tasked to go ask a favor mm. of the person that worked there. I was wearing a mini skirt and carrying a bat carrying a bottle of company bought whiskey. And it was also the day before Christmas. <laughs> I was like, wrong. Why am I doing this? Number one. Mm. And number two I'm about to go ask something that is just really very rude to mm. hurry along this job the day before Christmas. And the way I'm going to do that is that I am showing up as this very sweet, just out of art school girl with a mini skirt on and a bottle of whiskey. Like it was so not secret what was happening, mm. but it was to me until I was like standing right there, you know, because it had just been normalized to me of like, this is just what we got to do, me. We got to get this done because we got to do this job because it has to happen on our time frame. And you don't look like you're doing very much right this minute. So you, you should go. And I like got tricked into that a little bit. You know, I like, I obviously got tricked into it because I was the one that went and did it, but <laughs> the pieces of it flowing this, like, that's what I mean about this toxic culture is that like, it can so quickly just become like, you're lucky to be here. 
So just go with it because this is a part of it, you know, and that ends up in this like disrespect cutthroat kind of all of them merged together is what I experienced in that moment of like, well, it's all kind of a flavor of the, all of those. Right. Because in order to survive here, in order to pay my dues, which I would argue is actually part of toxic culture, I mm. had to do this weird thing. Let me just clarify for our listeners that your job was what? I, I was an entry-level designer. <laughs> okay. So your job was designing, graphic designing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you found yourself on the corner of a winter street the day before Christmas in a miniskirt purchasing whiskey for somebody else. Yeah, for because- like for- $14 an hour. Yeah. Let's be clear too. Like I was not getting paid a lot to do this errand. And so, I mean, the reason I'm asking is because some people could be like, well, maybe her job was to buy the whiskey for the company no. party. So that's a really important differentiation. Yeah. And like, you know, I'm, I, it's fascinating hearing you replay that. Like, and I found myself on a corner with a pint of whiskey <laughs> at work <laughs> yeah. wondering, yeah. was this my job? Yeah, I felt like that David Byrne song, you know, like, it's a beautiful, beautiful wife is this? I was like, what is happening? I feel like that is, those are stories that I hear about, like, from my own, like, millennial friends. Like, yeah, Yeah. and then I found myself in this weird situation, and I hadn't really realized that all the things were building into me doing this weird thing, or multiple things, or working Mm. 90 hundred hours a week for a job that's not, shouldn't be that many hours or right. whatever, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that's, I think you're, you're describing something powerful, which is that like toxic culture. And as you know, this topic's near and dear to my heart because Kemi Dunaway and I wrote in Fit Matters, we were trying to give candidates for jobs tools to assess culture from the outside before they said yes. And mm-hmm. it's very hard to assess you know, like I think about young May rats going to a job as a designer, an entry-level designer and having a picture in your mind and probably feeling very good about the exciting company oh, that you're yeah. working for and not having any clue that this could actually go off the rails in terms of being a toxic place for you to thrive. Or, and that's my next question, or what to do about that. Because when I'm an entry-level designer and I'm being told that this is the thing you just got to do to get along to get along. My only option is to leave, but it also isn't that, that great of an option. It's my job, <laughs> you know, and I hadn't been there for very long. And I'd like heard all these things that like, if you leave too early, then you're never going to get a job ever again. And then you die in outer darkness or wherever, you know, like you never get a job again. I got, I got caught in there, you know, like, what is the option? What is the option when you see a toxic culture is my first question. My second question is, if you realize you have a toxic culture and you happen to be a leader, do you just burn the place to the ground? Or like, is it fixable? And then my third question, it's hard to assess culture from the outside in. And I would argue that it's also very hard to assess it from the inside out, because it's the water that you're in. So pick from the buffet of questions I've just offered you. And yeah, I, I have lots of questions about this. No we pictures. could have, clearly we're going to have to have multiple podcasts about this. I, I think the first question is like, all right, when I find myself in a toxic culture, what do I do? And I think going back to my earlier point, I want to make sure I mean this. Can any, I'm asking myself this question, can any culture have dimensions of it that are toxic? And I would say yes. I think that any organization, even a really healthy culture, can have moments where something happens that could be toxic. You know, a good example of something we've been working through, we talked about it recently in Momentum, is that, you know, we have made 
an effort. We're really wanting, um, uh, we, we work pretty hard on being a very flexible place to work because our, our positions are not often uh, positions that have to be open during a certain hour. So people work different schedules. And so we've moved to, some of us have moved to a four-day week. You in particular, as my creative director, I've had to call in on many Fridays since you started this a few months ago. That is not in and of itself a terrible thing. Like you're willing to flex and work on Fridays, but if it persists or if we don't talk about it, or if it feels like you have no option, but actually to work on the day that you thought would be your day off, then it could become something that's toxic. So, and, and I think in general, our organization, I hope that it does feel generally like it's a culture that's good for people, but sometimes we do things that are not as good for people. Another example that comes up is we've been working really hard to try to get our project management systems up and running. And they've been hard for us, even though we're a small firm, we're small, but mighty. And we're experiencing a lot of the difficult parts about really scaling organizationally. And so for one member of our team in particular, that's been really challenging because he doesn't have the clarity and focus to stay in his lane and just do his projects because we're asking of him a lot of things that aren't in his project suite. And so that also has a dimension of some toxicity to it. But in general, our culture is generally healthy, I think. So I want, I just say that for people to just like, if, if one thing is going wrong at work, it doesn't mean you have a toxic culture. <laughs> you, you know can what have I mean? pieces of toxic. You can, and you yeah. are not all toxic. Yes, you're not. All, and also, and it may not, maybe toxic is even too strong, but you know, it can feel toxic in the moment. But the reality is that, you know, it is work after all. And some days are harder than others. And we leaders of systems also make mistakes. So I think when we think about when you find yourself in a toxic culture, the first thing I would say is like, make sure this is a recurrent pattern. You know, and I'm sure for you, that whiskey holding moment on the street corner was oh, yeah. not, it was not just one. It was like the realization of, oh my gosh, this is happening to me an awful lot. I'm being asked to do something that I don't feel good about. And so, yeah. and also maybe I don't feel safe talking to somebody about it. So we want to look at like, is this a pattern? And if we find that we find that it is as an employee and we're like, yep, this is not feeling good. Then we have a decision point I think to make, which is, do we want to talk about it with anyone? Do we want to talk with our boss, talk with our team, talk with somebody else in the system about what we're experiencing that feels not good for us and see if we can remediate a solution? You know, have I bumped into a pocket of toxicity, like maybe a manager who isn't operating in sync with the values of the company and nobody knows, you know, mm. or is it just a bad month, bad quarter or bad year? And the company is actually really trying to deal with that dimension of toxicity. And so, you know, as an employee, we are obligated to name our truth and try and negotiate a solution if we value and want to stay in that job. And, and so that's the first place I think we go. It's like to try to talk to someone about it and see if we can get our needs met to be better for us at a different time. And then if over time those efforts don't work and we consistently are feeling like, gosh, I'm not thriving here. This is not a condition that's fit for me as a human being. Then we need to begin to look and, and go outside. That makes sense. Yep. So now if I'm an employer or I'm a leader and I find out that, oh, actually I have all five of those things going on in a recurring pattern. <laughs> now you burn the building to the ground and you no right. longer work there. That's not the answer. Don't say right to that. That's not what we're doing. No. Well, that's started, what you feel like doing. It started that's... off as a joke and got very serious. No. <laughs> I, I, we're talking so seriously. I was like, right. The manager wants to burn the building down yeah. to the ground. You do not yes. actually do not. No. Tell everyone that May and Mo's podcast told you to burn the building down. Don't, Don't do that. There will be no burn, burning of buildings down. 
Okay, well, good. I think, I think that, you know, this is a really good question because it reminds us that managers at every level, leaders at every level do have an obligation in culture. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think one of the things that can happen if we're in a toxic culture is that as a manager, if we also experience the culture as toxic, we might just be toughing it out, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah, I know it's bad, but I've seen worse and I'm just hanging on. And I oh think my God. we, right. Huh. Which would be a type of collusion, wouldn't it? Because then I'm basically saying, I know it's bad, but just play along, right? That could be one thing I'm saying, or I know it's bad, but it'll get better soon. Or basically something that disassociates us. Like we could collude with the message and say, I know it's bad. Those guys up there or those women up there are terrible. And that we do not want to do that because we need to remember that as a, as a people leader in any system, no matter how big we are obligated to uplift and uphold a healthy culture. So if that feedback is coming to us, my recommendation is that we as a people leader need to take it seriously, need to believe the person's experience that's talking with us about toxicity, and then need to take it to our colleagues and our higher ups to say, hey, I'm hearing a concern. And again, if one employee complains one time that there's a problem, well, then maybe it's a bad day or that employee has some special needs that we can't accommodate. But when we are hearing it consistently and frequently, we really do want to to look at it. I'm sure you've heard me say the green tail story, which I love is you it know you tell it. Oh my gosh, yeah, we're walking down the street, you and I, and somebody passes us and says, "Hey, nice green tail," and I'm gonna look at you and laugh like, "Haha, that's so funny." That person must be you know see, having visions because I clearly don't have a green tail. And then we keep walking, and then somebody else comes up and says, "Hey, nice green tail." And I'm like, well, that is weird. This town is like really focused on seeing things that aren't there. <laughs> and then the third person comes along. It's like, that green tail is amazing. I'm going to be looking at you and be like, what, what is behind me? Can you look, is there something on my back end yeah. that is a tail? And because now I've gotten three messages that are saying something strange and I'm going to turn around and look and see, do I have a green tail? So, you know, you've got one employee complaining about a toxic felt experience. Okay. Take it seriously. Think about it, but don't overreact. But you have 5, 10, 50, 5,000, 50,000 employees who are telling you that their felt experience has something about it that feels not good for people. You need to pay attention mm-hmm. and you need to figure out a way to contribute to turning that around, which gets mm-hmm. to your last question. Can we fix toxic culture? Heck yes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, we can fix toxic culture. We can ideally we build healthy culture from the beginning, but that's not how it works sometimes. So can we fix it? Yes. But unfortunately, or fortunately, what it takes to turn around toxic culture is really changing the beliefs and assumptions that are held by every employee in the organization, because mm-hmm. culture is how we do things here and it's coming from what we believe. So we can't, we can't, it's not like we can flip the switch or hire, you know, hire the consultant to come in and just tidy up our culture a little bit. (laughs) Make it less clean, clean our house, just a little more toxic, not toxic. Um, one of the things sounds so cute. (laughs) Toxic sounds so cute and nice. Toxic, toxic is the the light version of toxic. Um, (laughs) what? Okay, well, one of the things I love about the green tail story is that by looking to see if you have a tail, you're not actually saying, oh, yeah, I have a tail, right? You're looking, just look, like the step of just actually looking to see if it's there, to see if it's true. And there might not be a tail. Yeah. Like that part, I feel like is the, like the the harder spot because everybody wants to take action. 
but just look to see mm. if it's true, you know? Yep. Yeah. But I, if 50,000 of your employees are saying that the place is toxic, you know, like you don't, you don't have a toxic situation. You got a toxic situation probably. Yeah. But you should, you should look quickly maybe. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and this is not about, yeah. let me just clarify. It's not about like light grumbling. Like, you know, th- yeah, this is yeah. not about like just a very light, like, oh, you know, people are so difficult here or these, my teammate doesn't work well together. That's not what we're hearing when we hear about toxic culture. We're hearing about significant undermining, significant examples yeah. of disrespect. And so when someone is naming that that's happening, we, we, yes, we pay attention. And like you said, it doesn't mean we're saying, oh yeah, we have, oh yeah, we, we are causing harm in every system and we're, you know, we're really broken. That's not necessarily what you may find, mm-hmm. but you do need to look. I love that. The next question I have is that a toxic leader mm. is different than a toxic culture. Yeah. Right. But a yeah. toxic leader can create a toxic culture for the downline employees. So I don't know. That seems, that seems muddy to me. It seems very clear to me that they are different. You can have many different mm-hmm. leaders. Some of them might be awesome. But they, yes. like you say so often, the employees know the company through their direct manager. So say you have a couple toxic leaders. You find that out. What's your next move as the like big boss? We're talking to the boomers now. Yeah. <laughs> like, do you get to just sit it out? Because you're like, well, they only have two toxic leaders. That does not equal toxic culture. We good. Or are no. you like, um, we have to fire them? <laughs> like, what, yeah. what do you do? Right. Well, here's what the cells research, what the research in the Sloan review is saying. And what we've known for a long time, which is that it's, it's not like a toxic culture caused by a toxic leader is not going to cause like one person to resign. It's going to cause a lot of people to resign over time. And it's going to make it really hard to hire new people into that system because word, let me just say word gets out. So if you have a, if you're a generally healthy culture, but you end up with a leader who is leading in a toxic way and is bad for people, either because you hired them and they were misfit for the role or something is happening with them personally, that's turning them into not being very effective at uplifting your values or whatever, then you've got to deal with it. And you, and dealing with it means I'm going to work, I'm going to name and hold accountable that leader for becoming more effective in leading people in a way that's consistent with our culture and our values. I'm going Mm -hmm. to let them know what they're doing that's deleterious and I'm going to expect them to change, perhaps with help, you know, with coaching, maybe with training, with support. We don't know what's going on with that leader. Maybe um, they are having a mental health crisis. Maybe Mm -hmm. there's something going on at home that they need support for. Perhaps they're unwell. Whatever it is, we need to make sure that we're getting them the care, support, and expectation that they need to take care of the people that are um, working with them. Mm, and if great. they aren't able to do that, then then they will probably need to go. But but I think we're obligated to give them every opportunity, you know, or not, if not every opportunity, a lot of opportunity to mm-hmm. get better at leading people. Good answer. Okay. So when I have experienced, my career has been short <laughs> and I have experienced, I feel like a couple toxic <laughs> cultures mm. and that was enough. But it seems like some of those pieces of toxic culture that have come out, in that report are very intoxicated. They're mm. very easy to align with because either because that's how a lot of the working world works, I might just be making that up, or because they are rooted in something deeper. 
Mm. And maybe that is toxic masculinity. Maybe that's white Western world working world. I don't know. Yeah. Or whatever it is. But it feels like, like my mom was an investment banker in Mm. the 80s. And she's saying the same things, right? She's talking about that, that culture, the exact same way as toxic culture is getting lined out right now in 2022. Mm -hmm. So what is it about those pieces? Why are they so intoxicating to align with? You know, like, why might it be easier to dip into some of those behaviors than to actually fix them or to not start them in the first place? Why is it so hard to not be toxic? I guess is my question. <laughs> Thank you for letting me word salad all the way to that question. I like the way you worked your way around to that. Yeah. It's so it's hard a, to be good. It's a, why is it so hard to be good? It's a good, it's a, like a really good question. You know, I don't know. It's such a good question. I don't know that I've thought about that as much as I should have. Like, I, I, I think maybe this is going to have to be my next book. Um, but so I think it's, good. why is it so hard to be good? And I, I think, and the reason I say that is that I don't think that founders and business leaders and company owners start out wanting to create a toxic culture. It'd be like, no. start like getting married and being like, let's create a dysfunctional family. <laughs> Can't wait to Shall get the word from you. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Shall we do that now? <laughs> um, I know, I know. I mean, I work with so many founders and so many entrepreneurs and most of the time we start out like very bullish and excited to be an employer and to design a healthy culture. And, you know, especially today. So how did we get, how do we get there with toxic culture? I think here's a couple of off the cuff thoughts. One I I have talked a lot about, as you know, and, um, and read about in Brave Space is profit as our only North star. And, um, you know, as you know, Momentum is a for-profit company and I am, I, I do think I buy into capitalism in some ways, but at the same time, if it's all we focus on, it can really create toxicity because mm-hmm. it creates uh, an environment in which we just have to trade everything else that matters for profit. So good leadership, healthy culture, teams that care, um, work patterns that are good for people, not toxic people, all of that goes out the window if we can't make money, you know, at it in the process. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think we've got to be always thinking about the relationship that our organization has, whether we are a nonprofit, a government agency, or a for-profit organization, public or private, like what is our relationship to our own profitability? How much is enough? And what else do we want to measure besides profitability? So I think that's one Mm, dynamic. Good one. That thanks. Um, that's important. We're actually, I mean, that was <laughs> a good off the cuff answer, everyone. Yeah. Well, I made me think about, you know, this idea that we're cooking up with, and I've been cooking it up for a while, but it hasn't hit yet. But, you know, I really want to make it happen. What, what happens when we have an index for human thriving at work that goes on our dashboards that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's uh, right next to our profit margins and our ROI, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think another reason about why it's so hard to be good is that we are human beings and we are imperfect and we have a lot of things that go on inside of us that interact, interrupt how we, how we be with each other in between us, you know, think we have things going on inside of us that interact how we act between us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's related to trauma. It's related to, um, to, you know, childhood trauma, to people um, being harmed in systems who come into roles of responsibility with damage, with fear, that corrupts their capacity to behave in ways that are authentic um, and loving and compassionate. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they cause harm, you know, they cause harm. And I, 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 um, yeah, yeah, I think that goes on. And, and then there's other things like our addiction for lack of a better word to perfection. Yeah. Being correct. Mm-hmm. Which I think I agree with you. I think there is some, it's like you're reading my mind, but that there's, there is an addiction to being right or perfection or like whatever that may be. And there is this, it's like we're allergic to mm. saying we don't know how to mm. do the thing because at any moment someone could take it away from us because of yeah. that. And that I think leads to a lot of those things, which yeah. is like, if I throw you under the bus, then I don't go under the bus, right. but we forget that we might actually be driving the bus. Like we're just running right. people over. I'm reading this book. I'll put it in the show notes, but it talks a lot about this perfection situation mm. and to do this self-reflection of like, what's the point? Say you do it perfectly. Yeah. Say you do it so, so right. And you get to the bar, like the bar that you have set for yourself of perfection. But why? Because it's the goal to like sit still. Once you get to perfect, then you get to rest. Like, what is the point of being perfect? And I think that also in business is like, what? what's the point of not being collaborative and saying that you don't know and using your team instead of going it ruggedly alone and being cutthroat and throwing everybody else under the bus for the sake of perfection? What's the point? Well, right. I think, and you know, when I, when I think about the best definition I've heard of perfectionism from Dr. Brene Brown is perfection is a lie. We tell ourselves Mm -hmm. that if we, um, if we just get it good enough, everything will work out. All right. Which is Mm -hmm. of course driven by a lack of courage and a fear of being vulnerable. And so, you know, so actually now that I say this out loud, I actually think shame is a huge contributor to toxic cultures. And, um, and that's connected to our deeply seated fear that we're unworthy, you know, that we're not enough. And I think perfectionism really fuels that. And let me just also add that, you know, I don't think we can go too far down the why is it so hard to be good or why is it so hard to have a healthy culture? I think we have to think about what, we, what we've inherited mm. um, in terms of the models of um, economics and the models of business. You know, North American business modeling is imprinted off Northern European business modeling, which is largely a white male culture business model that rewards and depends on rugged individualism, on mm-hmm. linear thinking, on independent action, on rationality over emotion. A lot of things that, you know, all of us in the world of work today, boomers and millennials alike, as, and everyone in between, have learned is what good looks like in business, mm-hmm. which is actually the antithesis of what we're talking about. And I have sat with audiences, May, and you know this, where we've talked about the barriers from Dr. Brown's research to courage in the workplace. And I've had people watch types of armor. We talk about types of armor, how we self-protecting against courage. And people say, that looks like business culture. (laughs) All that. That's what I learned. One person said, that's what I learned in MBA school. Uh So we're actually Uh training. So how, how come it's hard to be good? Well, because we're trained to be perhaps afraid and self-protected in mm-hmm. ways that create toxicity between people and in organizations that are collaborating for a greater good. So that maybe that's it. Perhaps. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I feel, I feel quite settled in that. <laughs> so I really, really appreciate this conversation about toxic culture. And what it really is making me think about is what does it really take to turn around the toxicity we experience day in and day out? Like what's the micro level of behavior that counters the toxicity we might face because of what we learned or what we live in today? And so that's what I think we should talk about next. Mm, Great idea. See you next time.
Thanks, Thanks May. Good conversation. Bye. Bye.